0: Learn more at marines.com. Running the option on first down, Hagan has it, he has Rome, he's got one man to beat, now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way, Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo, oh, got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. like my colorado to with my colorado swag. My colorado
1: swag. welcome into the dnvr buffs podcast presented by green mountain dental group i'm henry Chisholm and uh it's another victory monday just a nice day to sit here Talk a little bit about more of my thoughts from the game. Um, I just got off of the Zoom call for Carl Durrell's press conference. Um, So got to talk to him for about 30 minutes or so. And as always, there's some pretty good and interesting stuff in there. Uh, So yeah, we'll talk about what happened in the game a little bit. We'll go through some of what Carl had to say. And, uh, you know, there is the one piece of big news that has come out since uh, the end of the Buffs' win over Stanford, and that's that Arizona State's COVID situation is bad enough that they've already canceled this Saturday's game against Colorado, which is disappointing. You know, you, you've seen Colorado beat a couple of teams that aren't as good as Arizona State, and that's what makes it so exciting to to have a chance to play a team that is in the tier that Arizona State is in. You know, you can break up the Pac-12 into as many tiers as you want. You could say it's three tiers or two tiers or six tiers, and you could make whatever argument you want to make. But it is, in my opinion, kind of easy to see like four right now with kind of just Oregon alone at the top. Maybe USC belongs in that top tier too, but to me right now it's just Oregon right there. And then right behind them, you get in that second tier, which is pretty small too. But that that's where USC falls. That's where Arizona State falls. Um, and, and it's kind of early to see who else even is worthy of a spot there. Like if, if Utah doesn't have the entire drop off that I expect to see this season, then maybe that's a, a team that belongs in there too. And and realistically, Colorado could belong right there as well. Um, and From there down, you know, I I see UCLA as a bottom-tier team. um, And and week one, you you beat them. The next week, you see Stanford, which I think is still a step ahead of uh, uh, that bottom tier. um, And you beat them. And so now was kind of your chance to keep climbing this ladder and and having a shot at an Arizona State. and And then after that, going and playing USC next week, which... You know, depending on how you want to look at it, is a pretty similar matchup. I guess that one would have been on the road, so it's a little bit tougher. But USC still very much in the college football playoff race. If they don't lose, they're in. And that same thing for Oregon, and that might be the same thing for honestly Colorado as well, if everything broke their way. But you know, they haven't proven to be worthy of that conversation yet. But within a couple weeks, who knows where we'll be? Um, but one thing we do know is that Colorado won't get a shot at Arizona State this week, uh, which is disappointing because uh, I really think that if Colorado beat Arizona State, Colorado's in the top 25 next week. Um, right now, I think they've finished like 43rd in the coaches poll. 18 spots is a pretty significant jump. But to me, Arizona State is a pretty significant upgrade over the teams that Colorado has played. And we saw Arizona State compete with USC. And I was kind of disappointed in the way that that game was framed as kind of this disappointment for USC instead of saying, this was a really close football game. And sure, USC did catch a couple of breaks late, but these two teams are very good. And and it's early, and that's why separating those two, saying – USC or Arizona state is this much better. I'm not sure if we're to that point in the season yet, but what we know is that they played a really competitive football game. And there are a lot of reasons to think either one of those teams, it could be capable of winning a PAC 12 title this season. Um, I don't think Arizona state was perceived that way nationally. I think that they were still seen as a, a, a program that was a step away from that point. I think that Jaden Daniels was a quarterback who was still seen as a step away from being at that point. And that defense that is really, really good for the Sun Devils with with a, a very deep secondary, I, I think... You have Chase Lucas there. You have Jack Jones there. Those are two NFL guys. And you've got a few others who could very well be NFL guys as well. And it's a veteran group. And in front of them, you know, defensive line, Jermaine Lole, uh, linebackers, Merlin Robertson. I really like that Arizona State team. Um, And it's disappointing that Colorado doesn't get to play them and prove themselves against Arizona State this week. Um, We might see that soon, though. I still think that at some point we'll see Colorado play Arizona State, and I think that Colorado is going to play this weekend too. Um, I'm not sure how exactly it's going to happen, but if I were setting the odds here, I I, I would say it's just over 50-50 that Colorado plays this week. Yeah, And I think that that's reasonable. I think that that's reasonable. Um, We'll talk more about that. Actually, you know what, let's, let's kind of finish up the details right now, and then we'll talk about what Carl Durrell had to say in a little bit. But with Arizona State out, um, th- there was another team that had to cancel a game last week, and that was Utah, um, and Arizona State's breakout has been pretty noteworthy. For its size and just how many players have gotten it and that's why it wasn't a huge surprise to see that the game got cancelled over the weekend instead of waiting until the last minute trying to piece things together because it was pretty obvious that there was just no way Arizona State was going to be able to play. Utah is not in that situation. Utah could still certainly play and they're trying their best to play this week um, and the Pac-12 said that in a statement um, and, and they play USC this week and so that's the, the strongest candidate for a game to be canceled within the Pac-12, and that's what the conference would like to do. Currently, like the rule is you can't play non-conference games. When push comes to shove, I wouldn't be surprised if they relaxed that a little bit, especially if it's for the right opportunity. Um, and you, know, you have to factor in, Colorado has Rick George, and... I don't know that that means for sure that he's going to be able to find a way for Colorado to play this week, but you do know for sure that if Colorado had any chance of playing this week, it will happen um, because Rick George is, I mean, very driven wants to get this football team on the field and is also very capable and has a bunch of connections that can help him get something like that set up. Uh, and I think that, uh, he, he could make a better case to the PAC 12 about trying to get another game scheduled this week, non-conference than a lot of the other athletic directors could just because of who he is and the weight that his voice carries. Um, the buffs are in good hands there. Um, Maybe tomorrow. I think tomorrow we're going to dig in a little bit deeper into some more stuff from last week's game. Um, But also, I would like to kind of go through and see if there's anything we could uh, look to in terms of teams that the buffs could play. And that seems like it's going to take a lot of time and research. Uh, And so I decided we'd just hold off for now. Um, But yeah, as of right now, they're treating this week like there's no game um they're working on internal development that sort of thing Um, we'll talk more about that when we get to what Carl had to say Uh, but we'll keep our eyes on what happens with Utah because if Utah can't go for a second straight week um I think that you'd probably see USC uh play Colorado one week early they were scheduled to play in LA next weekend um and if not there's still a pretty decent chance that some team has an outbreak like you just look at the frequency of these outbreaks within the Pac-12 and without college football, you look at the trends across the country and see that the the outbreaks should be going up within college football programs right now because they're going up in non-college football programs. At the same time, though, you know after seeing a couple of outbreaks, does that mean that every team buckles down the way it seems that Colorado has and really avoids any outside contact and really avoids? Any situation that could give them the virus, that's possible. But also, there's that two week lag time. And so, you would have had to see that happen a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I think that there's uh, maybe a one in three chance. No, let's go somewhere between one and three, one and two chance that um, USC winds up not having an opponent this week, plays Colorado. I think that there's probably a one in three chance that another team in the Pac 12 has a flare-up, and Colorado you would have to think would be first in line to get their opponent um, in the situation that there is multiple outbreaks this week. Um, and then there's also, I think, maybe, maybe even I would say a 50-50 chance that the Pac-12 would let Colorado play um, a non-conference opponent this week. Um, and again, I'm not sure who that would be. Um, I know off the top of my head that uh, BYU is playing Northern Alabama this week. BYU scheduled a really difficult schedule for 2020, but has had a bunch of opponents back out because of the pandemic. A whole bunch of them are a part of conferences that said, we aren't letting you play non-conference games, that sort of thing. Or you know They, they rebuilt their schedules, and their new rebuilt schedules are condensed into a six-week stretch and so there isn't any room the weeks that they were supposed to play BYU whatever happened happened but that really challenging schedule that BYU was supposed to play was replaced by I can't remember if it's 10 or 11 cupcakes um but it's it's all cupcakes all the way through except for except for Boise State that's the one ranked team that they play all season um and they beat them 51-17 um was there anybody else? I guess Houston would have been the second best, but that, the, the, that is not a competition for that BYU team. Um, so that's something to maybe watch. This is also Northern Alabama's last game of the season. BYU is supposed to have a bye week next week. Maybe they could flip something there. Um, might be tough to get done, especially because BYU might be able to just sit out or, or go through this week and then next week be able to find an opponent. But that's a program that you would expect to see push as hard as possible to try to find more challenging opponents and it's not like Colorado is going up against um, uh, Oregon but it is a power five opponent that seems to be on the rise and you know if things go well for the buffs they're going to be ranked at some point in the next few weeks assuming they keep winning I guess you could probably fit a loss in there somewhere but That's one to watch. Um, And again, off the top of my head, I know Notre Dame has a bye this week. They don't have as much of a reason to schedule an extra game um, because they're currently in the top four. They would be in the college football playoff, and all they need to do is just win the rest of the way, and they should, at least in theory, get one of those spots. Again, BYU, because that schedule is so easy, even though at this point it's a virtual lock for them to go undefeated, I'm not even sure that that gets them into the top six. Certainly not the top four or five if uh, things go the way they should go. You know, you don't see crazy losses for Alabama or Clemson. Um, Everybody just kind of holds on. And these teams that seem to have separated themselves from the rest of college football, outside of BYU, like I think BYU has a very strong case we made. Again, they played one ranked opponent, number 20, 21, something like that, Boise State, and beat them 51-17. And not only that, went up 45 to 3. It was never close. And I think that that's the best offense in college football. Um I know Kyle Trask with Florida right now is real hot, but BYU's good. And again, Notre Dame really doesn't need to schedule an extra game. You look around and see a team like BYU and think maybe you could tempt them into playing a in Colorado. Um, if you guys have any ideas, feel free to throw those in the comments, um, but I'll look around as well and see if we can figure out what Rick George is going to try to do to get this football team on the field this weekend. Um, I think that that's all my thoughts there. Wow, this intro went real long, um, so let's uh, pay some bills real quick. Green Mountain Dental is an incredible, incredible place. Uh, They take great care of you and your teeth, and you'll leave there with a smile that you wish you would have had in the weeks or months or however long you've been putting off going to the dentist. Um, They're family-owned. They're huge Colorado sports fans. Uh, They're located out in Lakewood, about 15 minutes away from downtown Denver. Uh, So make sure you get out there and get your teeth cleaned. And the best part, in my mind, is that if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you can get yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush uh, when you uh, head in there. Uh, so that's a great deal. Take advantage of that and support the, the partners who make everything we do at DNVR possible. Uh, also want to give a shout-out to Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, had a couple of Breckenridge beers yesterday. Oh, I forget what the first one was. Uh, when we were on the tailgate. There's a new kind of fruity IPA, and I like fruity things, and I don't like IPAs, but the fruitiness, I guess, out, out, overweighed, outweighed, wow, overweighed, outweighed the, uh, uh, IPA-ness of it, and so it wound up being pretty good, and I also had, what else I have, I thought I had one more beer, oh, that was the tailgate. Or not the tailgate, the bus postgame show. Another good beer, the Breck Lager. Pretty simple, still really good. Um, It's awesome. Uh, All their beers are so good. We've been mixing them together. Uh, The Palisade Peach is really good. The Broncos Country Hoppy Pale Ale is really good. Um, And if you want to try any of those beers, get onto the Breckenridge Brewery website. Find that beer locator, and it'll tell you where you can pick up whatever beer you want to try. Oh, I just remembered there's a, another thing that I want to talk about. Wow. You know, I, I didn't really plan this week out in the way that I typically do during the season just because nobody really knows what to expect. And there's a real chance that I might be blowing some talking points I'll wish I had in a few days when it turns out that there is no game. Um, let's just knock on wood after saying something like that. But uh, the, the bowl projections have started coming out and... You know, I think that it's a lot of fun to think about Colorado being in a bowl game. So let's do that for a couple minutes uh, before we talk about Carl's presser. Um, So ESPN put out its bowl projections. And first of all, they have Colorado projected to go to a bowl game, which, you know, honestly, maybe we shouldn't get too greedy here. Just seeing that is exciting. Oh, and I just realized that this is actually last week's. I thought that there would be one from this week. Wait, is this the same one I was reading yesterday? One second. This makes for terrible podcasting. Um, let's go down to the bottom. Let's see. Yeah, so this is actually from last week's. We'll see how it changes. There are some other bull projections too. Um, but this one has, uh, according to Kyle Bonagura of um, ESPN, who's actually on that call. You know, it's, it's always kind of fun just to see who winds up at those press conferences now that they're – all just based on zoom and so you know kyle would not have flown out to colorado to have gone to this press conference i am i would imagine and under normal circumstances but because it's zoom it's it's like i guess there are like a lot of people like the tv stations in particular that were like listening in but in terms of like cameras on it's just like the four of us as always plus kyle Bonagiri. you're like oh yeah kyle this time and it's always just like somebody different um Kind of funny to see his name right now, though. So uh, he he had Colorado playing Missouri in the Las Vegas Bowl, which would be a lot of fun. Uh, The Vegas Bowl is um, the new bowl game. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is its first year. Um, But what's really exciting about it, obviously, is that it pits the Pac-12 against the SEC. There wasn't a Pac-12 SEC bowl game before this. Um, And so uh, pretty cool to to think about colorado getting a chance to knock off a team like missouri um for colorado to get into that bowl game colorado would either have to be the i believe the number four finisher in the pac 12 um or i i guess let's see this is kind of tough to tell these These bowl tie-ins change this year, and for the most part, they get a lot more complicated. Um conferences wanted to have more flexibility. So like the SEC, for example, for this Vegas Bowl, uh, it would it would just pick a team to go there. I think they they just separate things into tiers. And so like for them, they get however many teams they get in the college football playoff, one, maybe two. Um, and then the next best team uh, goes to the Citrus Bowl. And then after that, after those top like two or maybe three teams have been gone, then you're in like a pool for the next six bowls. And so your next six teams, um, the SEC will just assign where they go based on the matchup, based on whatever. Um, and, and so it is kind of open-ended right there. Uh, but they have both actually. Um, so this is Kyle Bonagura's projections as well as Mark Schlebach and uh, both of them had Missouri coming from the SEC. I'm actually not sure why that is, um, but Bonagura had Colorado there. They'd have to, like, I I think either finish fourth. I think either way they have to finish fourth or fifth, fourth in the Pac-12 to get there, Um, but even the Pac-12 is kind of complicated right now, so I I can't guarantee that. Especially because polls are being canceled as well. Um, But then the other one, Schleybach had Colorado um, going to the LA Bowl, um, which is the Pac-12 versus the Mountain West, um, and they would take on Boise State there. Both Bonagera and Schleybach have Boise State in the LA Bowl, um, which I'm pretty sure goes to the... It's, it's the top Mountain West team, but they actually get to pick. But typically, I guess it's supposed to be going forward more often than not the best team. Unless the best team in the Mountain West gets into a New Year's Six Bowl. Because who gets into that? Um, college football playoff is, is a New Year. Both those semifinals are New Year's Six. And then um, at least one independent or non-group of five team will get in. And there could be two but I don't think there could be more than two. Well, I guess if, if you get one in the college football playoff, there'd be more than two. Um, so that's what's going on there. It basically, everything just got so much more complicated. It used to be so simple. It would be like the number four in the Pac-12 going up against the number seven in the SEC, and that's that bowl game. Um, but, yeah, so, so that's where they had Colorado going. Oh, I should say L.A. Bowl um, would have Colorado finishing – See where did this go? Way down at the bottom. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. I believe sixth with the cancellations in the Pac-12. Maybe that's seventh. Um, but that's that's what they're looking at with Colorado. Uh, the uh, CollegeFootballNews.com. They have Colorado in the LA Bowl against San Diego State uh sporting news uh these two are more recent i guess espn must be putting theirs out should be sometime today you would think um but sporting news has actually doesn't have colorado in a bowl game it doesn't look like okay so we don't like them that's what we learned from this Wow, how do they not have Colorado in a bowl game? Who do they have in from the Pac-12 then? Um looks like Did they just forget the Okay, there we go. So Arizona State is in. Um Washington is in to the Valero Alamo Bowl. Wow, that's kind of lofty. I don't know. We'll see. Um Cal is in the L.A. Bowl, but Cal lost to UCLA yesterday. Um, so I'm not sure what we think of that. Utah is in the Sun Bowl playing NC State. Utah could very well finish behind Colorado, especially because as of right now, like, Colorado's 2-0, and Utah's 0-0. and Utah has some work to do to, to close that gap. It'll probably come down to percentages, I guess, but, like the buffs just have a a lot more leeway than Utah does at this point. Um, and then there's gotta be more USC is. Oh, wow. So here's what happened. So USC, uh, is in the Fiesta bowl against Wisconsin. Um, and then Oregon, they have in the college football playoff, uh, as the number four seed. So, That's interesting that they have Colorado not getting into a bowl game, even with um, the Pac-12 getting into the uh, college football playoff. Wow. I'm forgetting what I'm saying often today. Uh, We're going to look at one more of these projections, uh, and that is 24-7 sports. And they also do not have Colorado in a bowl game. Um, which surprises me and again, let's just run through these because I'm not sure how you justify that. Uh, so for example, um, Stanford is in the Ind- independence bowl playing army. Um, not sure how Stanford makes it into a bowl game, but Colorado doesn't at this point because Stanford already has two losses and Colorado's two and O and Colorado would have the tiebreaker. So they're really projecting Stanford to pick it up, I guess, and Colorado to totally fall off. But I think it'd be very, (laughs) but it would be much more reasonable just to have Colorado in that spot. Um, Other Pac 12 teams making it in uh, you have Arizona State in the Alamo Bowl playing Texas, you have Cal in the Los Angeles Bowl playing Boise State. You have Utah in the Sun Bowl playing Boston College. Um, Where? Oh, wow. My computer's slowing down now. There we go. Um, You would have USC in the Fiesta Bowl against Wisconsin. Um, And where's Oregon? This must have Oregon in the college football playoff. But my computer won't load the bottom part of this page there it is okay um yep oregon coming is the number four seed uh playing alabama in the sugar bowl the college football playoff semifinal so there's just a little look around where colorado's projected to go um just to wrap things up i actually went through and spent probably way too much time yesterday like ranking all the teams at the top of every conference and figuring out what I have my bowl projections as. And I had, uh, the, I think the same thing. I think I had Colorado in the Vegas bowl. Um, and because of the way sec, the sec does their, um, tie in or not their tie ins, but their selections for teams. It isn't just based on your finishing position. um, I'm pretty sure, looking at the spreadsheet again, um, I had it so that Colorado in the Vegas Bowl would play one of Auburn, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Missouri, and Kentucky, if I remember right. Maybe LSU could have gotten in there with LSU or Texas A&M also could get there. That'd be kind of a crazy way for the season to end is finally getting that shot at Texas A&M that the buffs were supposed to have in the, in September before that got canceled. But yeah, there's a bunch of bowl stuff for you. Um, And I do think that the rule is you need three wins um, in these six games to be bowl eligible Uh, for Colorado. Now losing a game, um, that's that's obviously one more shot to get a third win um, because two and three isn't going to cut it, so you still would need the three wins. So hopefully they do get another game that they can play this week. Um, but one win away from bowl eligibility and you know two, three wins away from having a pretty cool <laughs> situation that you're finding yourself in at the end of the season. Um, we'll keep following this stuff. And before we get into... Uh, Carl Durrell's uh, press conference today let's talk about DraftKings Sportsbook week 10 of football is in the books and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week 11 there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app to add to the excitement of week 11 DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't miss offer if you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet Head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 when signing up using promo code DNVR. DraftKings Sportsbook has endless ways for you to bet, from live betting to betting on your favorite players. They do it all. Don't worry if football isn't for you because DraftKings is giving all MMA fans who sign up now the chance to triple their winnings for any bet placed on UFC 255. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's code DNVR to get a deposit bonus up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. Um, let's get into these notes. Um, again, talked to Carl for about a half hour today. It was good to hear his voice. He seemed to be in a pretty good mood considering the game was canceled. Um, told a couple jokes. And, uh, yeah, good time seems like things are going well, um, at least from his perspective. Let's start with the opening statement, which was a pretty long opening statement, but he really wrapped a lot of his thoughts about this last game uh, into that statement. Um, And and here's basically what he said. Uh, He said that his team grew a lot from week one to week two, that winning on the road is very difficult, but the team came out ready to play, and that was kind of the difference. Um, Specifically, the defense. Played well early. They forced Stanford to kick field goals. Um, then the the offense got off to a little bit of a slower start. Um, especially compared to week one, um, but then it settled down and everything kind of kicked in. Um, the defense allowed for that to happen. According to Carl Durrell, the defense put the offense in good situations, which made it easy for the offense to bounce back. The game wasn't out of hand after those first couple possessions where things were a little bit shaky um, and that this game as a whole was a testament to complimentary football. You know, both sides really did well to help out the other side when it was needed. Um, there were a lot of good, a lot of positive things that Carl is taking from this game. Um, and he also turned a little bit from there saying, we need to be building on leads and not letting these games get close late like they have through the first two weeks. Um, you know, but at the same time, the team does learn a lot going through all these different situations, especially going through these situations on the road. Um, defensively, there was a lot of improvement. Um, there, there were fewer big plays. The run defense was stout, um, which is tough to do, according to Carl against Stanford. Um, they shored up some of the coverage things, but there's still more to clean up um, the secondary is where the youth is on this defense. And that's why it's not a huge surprise that that's where you're starting to see some struggles and, you know, teams needing to get back into a game. What do they do? They throw the football and that just happens to be where the youth is on this buff's defense, which is a good point that Carl made. Um, He said that there were some better performances there, um, but there are five or six guys defensively who got their hands on the ball but couldn't turn it into a turnover. Couldn't pick the ball off. Um, he said, overall, there's a lot to work on. There's a lot to improve. But the team is really excited with where they are right now. Um, and, and really, that's going to make the whole thing a lot easier to fix, I I would expect. Um, again, that's a lot of thoughts that Carl packed into an opening statement. Um, but but I, I like where his mind's at. I think that it's important to remember that like he has a very good football perspective and what he sees is probably right. (laughs) So, so that's uh, a bunch of thoughts there. Um, Let's just go through all these in order. Wow. I took a lot of notes today. I really got to stop taking all these notes Um, on the Arizona state situation. Carl said, you know, we knew at some point in time that this would happen to us this season. Um, Not really sure what exactly would be postponed or canceled, but some point, something like this was going to happen. Um, but you really don't want it to be because you did anything wrong. You know, they're the focusing on staying healthy um, and, and remembering that that is very, very important. He um, said having a pause is disappointing. Um, it's especially disappointing when you're having the success that Colorado is having early in this season. Um, but as of right now, this is a week that's going to be used to try to clean things up. You know, the the mistakes that we mentioned earlier, you know, the, the young secondary having infrequent struggles, but the occasionally having those struggles that are causing some problems, especially late in games. Uh, you, you know, the offense getting into a rhythm early. Uh, that's, that's another thing that you can really focus on. I would, I would expect to, s- to see, uh, the drops cleaned up a little bit. I think that all those receivers might just be spending a couple hours in front of the jugs machine, getting bullets rifled at them. Is it time for tangent? Yeah. Let's talk about this a little bit. You know, the, the drops are frustrating. The drops are really frustrating. Um, it's important to remember that they aren't new, Uh, there were some drop issues last year. You know, Katie Nixon very notably had some big drops. um, And, and, you know, he hasn't even played yet. And when he gets on the field, I think you'd have to expect to see him come into his senior year as a much more consistent player. Again, can't evaluate what we're getting out of Katie Nixon until he actually gets on the field. But I think that's a fair expectation. But these drops so far... um, I can't remember who it was on the first drive that had a ball go off his hands. Um, Oh, there it is. Uh, Oh, Maurice Bell had the, the first drop. It would have picked up a first down and instead things turned into a three and out. And again, that's, that's one of those frustrating things where afterward fans were saying, why aren't you running the ball with Jarek Broussard? How did you just go into this game with a quarterback in his second career start throwing the ball three times out of the shotgun. I think two of them were out of an empty set. Um, when you have Jarek Broussard there, well, it would have worked had Maurice Bell held on to the first pass of the game, picked up the first down and gotten Sam a completion. Um, and saw the drops pop up. You know, there are a couple of tough catches on the sideline. I think one to Vontae, uh, one to Brendan Rice. Um, both were free plays where Sam said, okay, they're off sides. We've got time to take a shot deep and, you know, totally risk free because we can take the accept the penalty if that works out better. Um, again, like I said, one of them to Brendan Rice, one of them to uh, Levante Chenault. I think that both of those receivers did a great job to give themselves an opportunity to catch the ball. Uh, Brendan fighting through double coverage to get uh, his hands on it. Very good things that you can take away from what you saw from those young receivers on those plays. End of the day, though, weren't able to bring it in. And those are the sorts of things where if you get one of those... That changes the situation of this game. You know, you pick up a first down on that first drive. At the very least, you make things tougher for Stanford. You know, they they wound up kicking a fairly long field goal. Maybe you could have knocked him out of field goal range. Maybe everything would have stayed the same, but they would have started another 10 yards further back because of where you could have placed that punt. Um, And then that's the difference there. Uh, Again, the drops on defense. But here's the one note I want to make on these drops. Sam Neuer has a rifle. And when he throws the ball into tight windows, that thing is moving. I think it's moving in a way that surprises a lot of receivers and in particular surprises these young receivers who some of them are going straight into this offense from a high school offense. And they just don't see a ball move the way that Sam can whip that thing. I think that... It was one of the first passes of the game. It, it might have been on that first drive that there's there's this play that I really like that I think is very successful, particularly in college football, where basically you just have everybody run to the sticks, try to find a gap, and then turn around, and the quarterback just rips a ball in there. Um, and, and let let your receiver box a guy out, see if he can stop on a dime, turn around, and just make the catch. That, that'll work a lot. And that's something that Colorado can do because of Sam's arm strength. You know, if you don't have a quarterback who can just really put some extra heat on the ball, those are tough situations. But when you have that extra heat on the ball, it can be kind of tough to catch. Um, I don't remember seeing many situations where Sam threw a ball with too much velocity. You know, sometimes there are little screen passes or little dump-offs to running backs out in the flat or tight ends even where you think like, oh, you probably could have taken a little bit off that made things easier um, because there wasn't too much of like a desperate time situation. I don't remember seeing any situations where I think Sam put too much heat on the ball, but the truth is those balls can be tougher to catch, but the receivers need to start grabbing some of those. um, And those are some of my thoughts on that situation. So yeah, what we were talking about though was uh, how, You're working on little things this week, at least until you find out that you have an opponent. And as you work through those little things, I really think that standing real close to one of those jugs machines and just having every receiver take 50, 100 balls straight to the chest and, you know, get your hands out and catch them. Don't wear them in the chest, but just have those things shooting in toward their chest from real close. You know, that's a drill that Daniel Arias did a lot of um you know i know i've talked a lot about this but after practices when we're allowed to they they like open the gate and some of the players go up to uh go off to the locker room to change grade class some have media responsibilities and some are able to stick behind and play it's always daniel arias the last one on the field getting the ball shot at him from in pretty tight and making the grab and so i would really like to see him have some more opportunities underneath because I I know for a fact that catching some of those balls that have been dropped through the first couple of weeks is something I would expect him to be able to do. You know, when you look at Daniel Arias and, and come into the situation knowing what we know about him, that he is really big, that he is really fast, that he's a good athlete, I think it's fair to say that you should be using him as a deep threat. And we've seen that that's what the Buffs want to do. They want to send him downfield, whether it's post routes, whether it's just straight fly routes, little fades, that kind of stuff. That is what he's out there to do. Maybe give him a couple more opportunities to make plays at the sticks. Um, Let him catch some of those fastballs that we've seen other players drop. And I guess we've seen Daniel drop one, too. Um, But it was the third down. uh, Was that post route? I can't remember which side he... Lined up on the field, but a uh, uh, tight window has to fit it between two linebackers, probably 15 yards downfield. And Sam makes the throw an incredible throw, um, but Daniel didn't bring it in, and that's too bad. He also has, was working with a small sample size, maybe that's his only drop all season. Um, but these in tight, just fast balls, these heaters that Sam can throw. You gotta, you you can't let that go to waste. You gotta catch these balls, um, because that is something that Sam provides. That even, I mean, Steven Montez, I don't think ever showed that type of ability to to throw the ball with that much velocity, you know, on a third and six, just straight at the sticks and just get it into a guy's chest before a defender is able to get an arm in there. Um, you can't let that ability go to waste, um, and it's not like the drops were everywhere, but there were too many. There were certainly too many, and they started off early and, and were, I mean, kind of defined how that game went. When you ask Carl, how that game go? Well, the defense had to cover for the offense early. The offense kind of had to cover for the defense a little bit late once they got a little bit leaky, started giving up some points if you change that into the offense was there all game and the defense was there for most of the game. And when the defense started giving stuff up, it was when we started to back off a little bit. That's a, that's a great story of a football game. If you're the football coach, Um, let's wrap up the drop conversation um, by saying this, Um, this week pro football focus credited three receivers with a drop for Colorado. Um, Levante Chenault, Uh, Maurice Bell on the play that I was describing um, and also Jarek Broussard. I'm not remembering that play though. I'm probably just forgetting. I'm going to go back and rewatch this game after we finish this podcast. But uh, yeah, that's what's going on there. Um, And just because I think that this is an interesting point before we move on, um, Dimitri Stanley was just eating in the middle of the field again. Um, He was targeted seven times this game caught 6 passes. Only one of them was within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage that he caught it. Um he I mean from 10 to 20 yards in the middle of the field. Dimitri Stanley is proving to be one of the best receivers in this conference. And the the ceiling that he had you know I, I don't know what his ceiling is at this point. You know, I didn't think that he was ready to be a dominant slot receiver, but we're seeing a lot of dominant slot receiver traits from him. You know, the ability to catch the ball through contact, the ability to stretch the seam with his speed, um, you know, seeing him catch that little, I guess, I'm not caring if it was like a dig or a post, but whatever that was uh, for the touchdown, it was, it was just beautiful. You know, he, he was able to separate with the route. Once he did separate, he brought in the ball And he quickly transitioned to running upfield. And once he started running upfield, there was nobody on the field who was fast enough to catch him. The traits that he has give him a very high ceiling. you know, Because he has what you want to have a slot receiver. A guy who can get open underneath and get you some easy completions. A guy who knows how to find the space in the middle of the field and take advantage of it. A guy who doesn't drop the ball when he gets hit when you're catching the balls over the middle of the field, that is crucial. That is maybe as important as anything else. And on top of all of that, defenses can't just like get up on him on the line of scrimmage and, and make things tough for him when he is uh just working the middle of the field because he'll just run by him. And when you have that speed element to stretch that seam, it really limits what the defense can do. Um, really impressed by Dimitri Stanley and really excited to see him continue to develop because he has a, a lot of skills that you would want a receiver to have um any other notes on these receivers i'm not so sure there is um brendan rice technically targeted twice brought in both of them um Ch-ch-ch-ch- uh, obviously, like the 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 one that was, um, bu- 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 what am I thinking here? Wow, my my brain doesn't just leave me on this podcast very often, but it just did again. Um, oh yeah, I didn't bring in the penalty. Um, Maurice Bell over two with a drop. Matt Lynch filling in for Brady Russell caught a ball on two on uh, two targets. Um, Jalen Jackson only targeted once, caught the ball, ran, I think he caught it four yards downfield, ran it um, another 10. I believe he was working out of the slot on that play. And Jalen Jackson, like Dimitri Stanley, has the speed element, um, and maybe even more so than Dimitri does, just working on figuring out a couple of those other pieces from the slot. Um, But I think by the end of the season we could be seeing a lot of him too. And Chris Carpenter in the slot as well. There's a lot to like about this receiving core before we even get to Katie Nixon. Um, Vontae Chenault looked really nice. I I should say, let's go through these numbers too. We're doing them all today, I guess. Um, Targeted four times, three catches. Uh, Is that one drop? I think that's what that means. It can't be. Oh, maybe that's drop penalty. I'm not sure because I don't think... No, he was credited with the drop. He definitely was credited with the drop. So there we go. Um, but one of those targets was in pretty close. Um, but the other three were all deep downfield. And he brought in two of them. Um, impressed by him as well. I'm not sure that he has a lock on a spot in the rotation. I think that the competition between him and Brendan Rice is going to be a tight one, a really tight one. Um, but as it stands now, I think you have Maurice Bell, Dimitri Stanley, who are absolute certainties to be a part of this receiving core. Um, you have Katie Nixon, who is a 98% chance of being a part of it. Basically, if he just does what he's always done, that's going to be good enough. And I think he's likely going to do more. Um, Daniel Arias is, going to keep getting opportunities um, because he has shown the flashes to this point Um, at some point you're going to need at least one big game out of him um, a a couple of three catch 60 yard games out of him um, just just something to show that the the time that you're giving him on the field truly is warranted and I'm not ready to say that it isn't um, but these these were down games for him for sure so um, that leaves us with four if we include Arius. I think Maurice Bell is going to be the number five um, with Vontae Chenault and probably Brendan Rice, the, the main competitors for that sixth and I would say final spot in this rotation. Um, I, I think that they'll probably go about six deep. And, and you'll see the six guys come out more on drives where they're moving the ball. Um, if if they're getting a lot of three and outs, you might be seeing three, four receivers out there. Um, so that is also factored in. Did not have enough time to uh, go through everything we just went through with the receivers, but there are, there are no rules. This is my podcast. Um, let's go back to these notes now. Uh, He talked a lot about how, again, this week is about focusing on Colorado. Now that you're no longer game planning, trying to say, let's see, you're going up against Jaden Daniels. We need to figure out how to um, build a pocket like we did for Dorian Thompson Robinson, but also find a way to collapse that pocket more quickly. Um, That was the piece that was missing in week one. Um, We know that this team, this front seven can get into the backfield um but when they're playing a mobile quarterback can they still get into the backfield when they are trying to mostly just keep them in the in the pocket um so no that that's something that you're really focused on um you're you're really focused on um oh this is good because i hadn't really thought about how game plan arizona state because this game's just been canceled um probably in the trenches i think that this is a running game even though you do have a couple of really big, really good football players in the trenches um, and, and another it, it, with the linebacker Merlin Robertson, that's still probably your best bet rather than testing a very veteran and very skilled secondary. Um, but instead of like focusing on how to take advantage of those sorts of things, Colorado's just saying we're having these drops. We're having these mistakes in coverage. We're having these slow start. I'm not sure what Carl would attribute that slow start offensively to. I mean, there was the drop up, obviously. Maybe they want to start going hurry up. I don't know. But coming out hot um, is something that they'll likely be working on offensively. And that's how stuff is going. But the other thing is they get to spend a week developing depth. Um, Carl wants to really expand the rotations this week in practice, at least until the point where you start game planning, um, and, and get reps for a bunch of guys. He also said that any opportunity to, to work on building your schemes is important as well. Uh, I like that. Um, I like the idea of adding more to what you do on offense, adding more to what you do on defense during bye weeks. Uh, and that's essentially what this is going to be treated as. Until you see uh, an opponent on the schedule. Um, but yeah, getting experience for depth guys. Um, they really wanted to use this season to get a lot of experience for these guys. Um, and he wanted to note again that at some point you're going to need to rely on your depth. Whether it's because of injuries. Whether it's because of you know a COVID breakout in the Colorado locker room. Knock on wood again. Um That's going to come up at some point during these seven, uh, seemingly eight games for Colorado. Um, And this is a week to make sure that when that time comes, they'll be in good shape. Uh, Positive of not uh, playing is that guys get to get healthy. Um, No injury updates, I don't believe. But... Um, we did hear him say he was really impressed by how Kari Cooch played as he moved from guard to center in place of the injured Colby Purcell. Uh, he said that he did some nice things. The snaps were a little bit, a little bit too low early, um, but once he settled in, he played really well. Um, and, and the snaps got figured out pretty quickly and uh, basically said he was very appreciative of Kari's steadiness, his consistency, um, and noted that he did get to practice at center all last week with Colby Purcell out. Um, on Christian Gonzalez, Carl said that they're working on his confidence um, and that they're really confident that he's going to be one of the best players in this conference in time. Um, right now, he's getting targeted a lot, and Carl's been talking to him saying, you know, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be trial by fire you're going to see other coaches look through this depth chart and see true freshmen starting at cornerback and say, this is where we start by picking on this guy. And, and if that works, then we're going to keep doing it until the defense has to overcommit to helping him. And then we're going to move to something else. Um, and, And so Carl's having those really blunt honest talks with Christian that said you are going to get picked on until you go out there and, and, get yourself an interception or two start showing that they can't throw the ball at you and basically just go earn some respect from the rest of the conference. But until you're to the point where you are making those plays, which, you know, maybe it doesn't come for him until next season. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's the week seven games that he finally starts. Just, I mean, mean, it's just this little half step because he is typically in very good position You know, the the, the pass interference calls I thought were terrible on him. Um, I I don't think we need to bash the Pac-12 refs too much. I think that they are going to take a beating even without talking about the Colorado game. But those were some mistakes. There was some great coverage from Christian Gonzalez um, on one pass interference in particular that he just didn't deserve. Again, Christian Gonzalez is just overwhelmingly talented and he is going to be a really good cornerback. Uh, and but until he proves that he is a really good cornerback, he's going to get tested. Um, and so keep an eye on that because I think that to to non football fans and maybe even non football nerds, this this process of just waiting for Christian Gonzalez to break out, it could feel kind of like waiting for some like plant to sprout out of the ground where you're just like staring at dirt for three, four weeks. And then all of a sudden, if you just keep staring at Christian Gonzalez all game, you're going to see him turn that corner and he's going to start breaking down those passes. And, and I think it's just going to be kind of this f- switch flipping moment where he wasn't making those plays on the ball. And then he was, and there's going to be a week or two where he still gets tested early and he forces quarterbacks to go away from him by making plays, getting some interceptions. And then you get to the phase where he is just one of those corners you don't throw at, but it is going to be a process and it's going to take some time. And if you're a football nerd like me, then it's going to be a lot of fun just to watch Christian Gonzalez every week waiting for the one week where he goes from a, a true freshman to one of the best corners in the conference. Um, yeah, I think that that pretty much sums up Christian Gonzalez. Uh, he was asked, like hypothetically, about a USC game um, and how how that would work from Colorado's perspective. Basically, said they've done preliminary scouting on every member of the conference, and so he said it wouldn't be tremendously hard to switch gears and get ready to play this week. Um, he did say it would be harder to play a non-conference opponent because they haven't done that preliminary scouting. Um, they they don't have a notebook that says, okay, here's who these guys are, um, here's who we uh, how that we expect them to be used, uh, and just like a whole bunch of notes on what to expect. If if you do schedule say it is BYU, something crazy happens and you have 4 days to get ready. Well then all of a sudden all of your assistant coaches, your quality control coaches, everybody is stuck just um looking through the tape and and saying, "Okay, what is going on with this team? Here's their roster, here's their depth chart. We don't know anything about who's good, who's bad. I mean, maybe you've seen a game or two, but you probably don't have takes if you're Chris Wilson on every member of that offensive line, how to beat them. Um, If you're uh, Darian Hagen, the running backs coach, you don't know what to expect from the linebackers, the defensive linemen. And and so it, it would be really hard to, it would be an all hands on deck situation, really, just saying we need to learn everything we can about this team in the next 12 hours. And then use that information to figure out what to work on, what to implement on this, let's say, Wednesday practice. And then we're going back to the film. We're going to get another 12 hours of work to add on to all of that. And then uh, implement that stuff. Like, it would not be all that easy. But, again, BYU would be in the same situation or whoever that non-conference opponent is. Um, But at this point... um, Carl's basically saying, you know, we're taking a day at a time. We're not panicking. Anything could happen. Um, And at the end of the day, he really just wants to play whoever it is. um, Playing is a better option than not playing. And also that's Rick George's job and not something that Carl Durrell has to think about, which is kind of crazy to think like you, you, the, the first question that got asked of him, you know, what is this week? He said, this is a bye week This is a week where we are working on internal development and on those sorts of things, cleaning up our issues and didn't even say, you know, until we get to a, a game, uh, until we hear that we are playing a game this weekend. Instead, it is, this is a bye week, and really there's no reason to think about a game this weekend until it's on the schedule of your Carl Durrell. Because it really is Rick George's responsibility um, to, to schedule a game. It's gotta be a tough situation, though, and, and tough to not be thinking about what could happen and letting that distract you from what you want to get done. Um, asked about Sam, and he said he said that his his first thought on Sam was, "We've got to get the karate kick fixed." Isn't that nice to hear? Like, like sure, there's things that need to be fixed about Sam's game, but to be sitting here after seeing Sam Neuer play quarterback for two games, what you're worried about is wow, I really wish he'd stop flying through the air and kicking guys. It's not, I wish he could hurry up and get through his progressions just a little bit quicker. It isn't, I, I wish that he was seeing the field a little bit better or I wish he was getting the ball put where it needs to be. You know, those sorts of things. No, it's, we've got to get this karate kick fixed. Um, he said he's trying to do the right things. He's minimizing mistakes from one week to the next. Um, he, he's getting more comfortable um, and... Um, he, he needs to, to kind of stop karate kicking whenever somebody gets near him. Um, he, again, impressed with the first two weeks. He didn't get down on himself after the interception, which is really important. Um, He's figured out what he did wrong. He moved along, and that's something that comes really naturally to him. Um, but, again, it, it is kind of time to start focusing on protecting Sam Noyer, And that's that's how Carl Durrell and, ended his answer, saying that's what we need to do, help him protect himself. What a place to be in considering where we were coming into week one of this season. Um, Just a really cool story. And so cool to see Chef Noyardee do the things that he's done. Ah, This is so so much fun. This season could have been no fun. It is turning out to be a very, very fun season. Um, uh, Kyle Bonagura actually asked, Carl about the potential for playing a non-conference team. Is that something that he would be willing to do? Uh, he said, yeah, we, we just want to play at the end of the day. We just want to play, but you know, that's something that's being discussed. Carl hasn't heard anything. It's not really Carl's job. Uh, There's a possibility that it happens. They're going to explore all the options. He's told his team that has to be ready to play this weekend. Um, and they would like to continue to play. It could be a Cal UCLA situation. Um, but again, just have to wait it out and see what's coming. Um, he was asked about Ashad Clayton. He said Ashad is progressing really well. There's a number of freshmen that are playing. He wants those guys to play. He would love for Ashad to get more time and more experience. And he wants to have that he wants to have the young guys to have like a little feather in their cap going into next year. He wants all these young guys to be able to say, Hey, I went out on a college football field and I did something. And and that little bit of confidence and and knowing what your next step is can help drive players. And this is me talking now and not Carl. But, you know, I think that the difference between having an Ashad Clayton who's coming off, again, I really hate talking about numbers this year. Because you really just have to cut everything in half. But in a typical typical year, you say, it'd be nice if you have Ashad Clayton coming into next season with... 350 yards so he's been out there he's played he's seen what works he's seen what hasn't works and to him his next step might be a thousand yard season you know maybe it's in that 700 yard range but you don't have him going into next season saying we're building off of nothing we're starting at zero and we're going to use this season to prove ourselves because going from doing nothing to doing what. Ashawn Clayton is capable of doing and what I would love to see out of him next season. That's a big step. You know, you saw LaVisca Chenault take that step just a couple of years ago, going from not seeing the field at all at wide receiver to six games into a season being shown on Heisman trophy finalist type of graphics or, or guys who should be in the final, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it is pretty rare. You know, Daniel Arias was put in that situation this year, and so far it hasn't really panned out. And so I really like that Carl is trying to get experience for the young guys. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, on Isaiah, Isaiah Lewis, um, Carl said that, uh, and I I like this, it's a, it's a weird thing to to decide where you're going to place credit, but what he said was, The coaches have done a really great job developing players, um, so far. And again, they haven't had a lot of time to work with these players. Um, but Carl said that that's probably been the biggest part of their success and that that's also, if they do continue to get better and keep winning games, that's probably going to be why is because these coaches continue to do a good job developing players, um, You know, you are kind of like taking away from what has been done on the field. You're taking a little bit away from Sam Neuer emerging as the type of quarterback that he's becoming. Um, Jarek Broussard doing what he's doing the defensive line. But I, I like it. And I think that something that we talked a lot about on this podcast coming into this season is the coaching staff that Carl Durrell was able to put together and how valuable that is for a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, starting with the ability to develop players turning guys who have tools into good football players, um, getting guys to the next level so that you can use that to hype up your ability to recruit players and say, we have taken players in your situation to the NFL. Trust us to do that again. Um, you know. And, and how that actually makes it a great environment that young coaches want to get into because they can see it as a stepping stone. And so even though Carl Durrell may not have like this flash where you say, oh, wow, Mel Tucker's a great salesman. He can go into anybody's living room and get that kid into his program. That is a great trait to have. And if if you have the option to have that trait or not have that trait, you take it. But what Carl Durrell may wind up having that Mel Tucker may not have ever had at Colorado had he stayed is the ability to say... Well, look what happened to all these guys. <laughs> like, like, sure, this guy was able to sell you on coming here for all these reasons, but look at what the results were for the players that went through his program. Just think about Tad Boyle, for example. Um, Tad, at this point, has that. Like, he has meat and potatoes that he can sell you on, and you aren't just buying into hype. He can say, we've had a, a significant number of NBA players... Go through here, and so you can bank on that um, with Derek White, with Spencer Dinwiddie, um, with Andre Roberts, all these guys, plus Tyler Bay now, McKinley Wright next year. All these guys, he now can say that. He can also say, we have the talent to win as many games as we've won um we are able to recruit at this level um as of now in these 2020 and 2021 classes to expect to be able to take another step from there and and what he's done is really just proven himself through consistently improving results and eventually that becomes what you want to sell because mel tucker can go into somebody's living room and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And Mel's a cool guy and and that will work for him. But what happens four years down the line when you haven't been able to win games or, or whatever, you know, you kind of wind up in this Jim Harbaugh situation where, yeah, he went into Michigan and things were good. He did a great job recruiting because everybody was really excited to play for him. Um, but, At some point, it all kind of falls apart if you don't win games, and that's what you're kind of seeing now. That's what it all comes down to, and that's more important than being the salesman that Carl Durrell isn't because he isn't the brand name guy for whatever reason. And I really think that by building this program through the idea that we are going to focus on developing players and and that is kind of the basis of what we do. And because we are known for that, we get our pick of the coaches that are good at doing that. Um, The recruits will start to realize what they have at Colorado. You know, we see it with the tight ends already Um, guys saying, wow, we go to Colorado. We get to learn from Taylor Embry who did what he did with George Kittle, Um, which, you know, how much of it was Taylor? How much of it was George? How much of it was Taylor's dad, John Embry, who was the tight ends coach, I mean, it it wasn't a significant amount that was Taylor Embry, but watching how that process worked is still really valuable. Um, And then eventually you start winning all the games, and that's when recruiting gets super easy. Like, I'm not sure that Nick Saban is, like, the best salesman in the world. I wouldn't really know. What I do know is that it's really, really, really easy to sell Alabama football to a high school football player. Um, We got to move on, but... I, I like him giving props to his coaches who have uh, very obviously done a very good job. Um, where did that go in the notes? There's the karate kick stuff. There's a conference, a shot. Um, but, yeah, he, he talked about um, the importance of development, uh, brought up Chance Lytle as an example of a guy who, according to Caldwell, has gotten much, much better just this year. Um, he said he's a completely different player than the player he saw when he watched a tape from last year. He has more confidence and that overall he played well in his first career start this week um, as he filled in that guard spot when Kari Kuch moved into center. Um, so that's uh, some of his thoughts there. Four more notes um, starting with Jaron Mangum. He said that Jaron Mangum's struggles so far have been a combination of a couple of things. Um, first of all, his footwork and his reads aren't always as consistent as they need to be. Um, but also sometimes there just hasn't been any space for him to run through. And that the combination of that has made it a pretty tough start for Jaron to this season. Um, and, and while it isn't all his fault, he does need to get better. Um, and, and Colorado really wants a balanced running attack. They want to have a couple of guys who can do that job. No update on Alex Fonteno still. Um, but, Basically, I mean, from there, he said Jarek is doing very well. Jaron is a different player, um, but we do need to have guys who will be productive. And the line that I think was, it stuck out to me maybe more than anything else that Carl said today um, was this. He said, The position will stay competitive throughout the week. There's so many good backs with Joe Davis and Ashad. Um, they're hungry players who want to play. And that means that the guys above them need to continue to produce. Um, it's going to be a competitive situation, and that's going to be good for that room. So, Jaron Mangum isn't locked into that number two job. And, and it, it sounds like Carl's seen what a lot of us have seen. And that's it. For whatever reason, Jaron Mangum hasn't been quite as productive as you would have liked. Um, now, down near the, near the goal line, it's a different story. That is where Jaron Mangum has been incredibly productive. But between the 20s, just not getting to that next level. Um, and partially his own fault, partially because there hasn't been a lot to work with for him. Whatever the reason, I wouldn't be too surprised to see Joe Davis, who has gotten uh, quite a bit of praise throughout camp. Certainly more than a shot has. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of a shot, too. Um, he was the one out of those two who actually saw the field. It was only for one play, I believe, and it was definitely only for one touch. Um, It was a three-yard run. It was kind of fun to see Ashad and Jarek Broussard on the field at the same time. I like the idea of having two running backs out there, Um, especially when you have KD, Nixon, Hurt, and you're still kind of figuring things out with the receivers. I want to see you throw the ball a lot, and I want to see all of these receivers get time on the field. There are certainly times, though, where you say, hey, we have a lot of good running backs, and we're running the ball well. Let's put two of them on the field. Let's give this defense some different looks. Maybe you have some sort of triple option. Maybe you have um, some sort of RPO where it's a option to toss it one way to the running back or throw it. the. I don't even know. But there are a lot of creative things that you can do with two running backs on the field. And I think that at some point this season, we'll see a game where we see a lot of that. Um You know, as you go through these shortened seasons where you really want to keep the other team surprised by what you're doing, I think that that's a great way to do it. Is one week say, okay, when we go shotgun, 60% of the time we want to have two running backs on the field. And we're going to really focus on stretching you horizontally with those two, um, getting to the sideline or getting into the middle of the field and working from there and kind of keep you on your toes there with the three receivers, maybe stretching a little bit deeper down the field. Um, maybe some deeper passing concepts from those guys. And then the running backs really stretching you out in the flats. I don't know. There, there, there's some fun things that you could do. And I think that we will see quite a bit of that, at least in one game at some point this season, um, who will be those two running backs. In theory, you'd love for it to be Alex Fontenot and Jarek Broussard, because that gives you I mean that that it's pretty crazy that the buffs have both those guys. Um and then on top of that to have so many so much good depth behind them. Um we'll see how things shake out. But I do think that you're going to see somebody not named Jarek Broussard, Jaron Mangum, or Alex Fontenot get at least five to 10 touches and maybe more than that this week. It could be Joe Davis could be a shot Clayton. I'd be as surprised if it's Jaylee stacks. Um, but he's the other guy who's there. Um, it's going to be competitive in practice this week. And, and honestly, next week, maybe too. Um, I know that Mel Tucker in the past, um, When he was here, he saw bye weeks as, similar to Carl, a week to develop the younger guys, but also as kind of a competition week, a camp week, a a week to rotate different players into various spots and see if maybe there was somebody who wasn't ready to go at the start of the season who now can contribute better than the player who's in front of him. Um, And... I think that that's probably what this week will be, at least until the point where that's not where that week is because you have to pack a game plan into two, three days. Um, but I think it's going to be a big week for these running backs because I uh, you could wind up with back-to-back bye weeks because of these cancellations. But if all goes well, this will be kind of the only chance for the coaches to take a full week and say, we're back to camp, we're back to seeing what you guys can do and and who to put where. Um, So, yeah, I think that the winner this week is probably going to have that job at least for uh, uh, two games, let's say. For two games, they'll be taking those reps that were Jaren's, and Jaren could retain those reps or it could be Joe Davis or Rashad. Um, Moving on, three points. We spent too long on that one. Brendan Rice. um, Carl talked a little bit about how it is tough to be in Brendan's position where... Uh, until Brendan Rice makes a name for himself, he is Jerry Rice's son. That isn't fair. Um, it's frustrating. But Brendan handles it really well. And and Brendan understands that the way out of it, make his own name um, and and to go just be yourself. And Carl said he's a really good football player and he's going to build a career for himself on his own merits. And then just said, I'm a Brendan Rice fan. So, what a strange thing to have to deal with. Obviously, like, I can't even imagine. What's it like to have the greatest football player ever as your father when you're trying to be a good football player? You know, there are some perks to it for sure. Um, I think that he will likely get overrated by some people because of his name being Brendan Rice. Um, you know, I think that that's probably worth at least five or ten spots in the NFL draft when his time comes. Is that the difference between him getting drafted, not getting drafted? Is he just not a draft guy anyway? You know, those would be kind of surprising considering what we've seen from him so far and what we know about him. Um, but there's a good chance that if he winds up being, you know, a third round guy, that that's the difference between late third and early third or, or a couple of spots. If he winds up being a first round guy, which would take obviously very good production over the course of the few years. Um, But it does come with some bonuses, Um, although it is, I'm sure, very, very frustrating. Things like having every account on Twitter tweet out that Jerry Rice's son just scored his first career touchdown. You know, Bleacher Report tweeted out. Barstool tweeted it out. Um, I think one of the ESPN college football accounts tweeted it out. Um, And then you see, like, ESPN has a story up. Brendan Rice's or Jerry Rice's son has his first. And, And so people, the eyes will be on him he will be seen what whatever happens, whether it's good or bad. Um, interesting situation though, for sure on um, uh, not playing a uh, Tyler Lytle at all this game after saying that he did want to get him in there um, uh, again this week, maybe not in the exact same way he got him in there for three plays the first week, but just to get him some reps and see what he can do. Um, The reason it didn't happen, though, according to Carl, was the flow of the game was why he didn't play. Uh, He said that he's big on communication. He talked to Tyler about it and said, we really wanted to get you out there. But there just wasn't a situation where we could afford to be making quarterback changes. We had to keep building on what we had. And he said that Tyler understood why he didn't get in um, and that there's a chance this week that he'll get a chance to play. Um, Which is interesting because in the first couple of weeks, it's been we're going to find a way to get Tyler reps. There is the shift. There's a chance this week that he'll get a chance to play, um, which means that the the job is very firmly in Sam's hands at this point. Not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to hear that, but that's what's going on. Um, On on Brendan's touchdown, probably could have put these two notes next to each other in hindsight. Um, But um, what happened was, according to Carl, Sam saw the cornerback blitz. He knew the cornerback was coming. He looked over to Brendan gave him a little nod gave him a little wave and uh Brendan went downfield somebody botched the coverage back there there should have been a safety over the top to 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 stop Brendan um and in that case it would have been uh, uh, you know a little bit tougher for Brendan to get that touchdown but you have to love what you heard right there that Sam Noyer knew what was coming and changed things to say, you know what, Brandon? You're going to be wide open. Let's take advantage of this. And he was even more wide open than he should have been. And so it worked. Maybe even better than it would have. It's exciting stuff. It's exciting stuff. Um. You should probably wrap this up quickly. But having now spoken about the buffs for a while, I feel like I just want to wrap this all up by saying, what a fun time to be following the buffs. Um, what a fun time to be covering the buffs. Uh, what a fun time to just be like Sam Neuer or Jarek Broussard or anybody on this offensive line um, or, you know, to to have Brendan Rice, to have Montana Lamonius Craig, to have Maurice Bell, Daniel Arias, Dimitri Stanley, obviously doing what he's doing. You know, Katie Nixon's going to be back and I think he's going to be the best version of himself. And I'm not even sure what that's going to mean, but I'm excited to see it. Like This is just so cool to be able to say at every position, there are fun things happening. And you can see even more things coming down the road, even little things like, you know, Quinn Perry got in there for a couple of reps, Uh, the Juco transfer um, at linebacker. And, you know, I don't know that we see a lot of him this week. I don't know that we see a lot of him this season. I don't know that we see a lot of him ever in his career as a buff. But just to know that that's one more piece that it's going to break one way or the other and if things go well and he is a football player that's going to be a lot of fun and if it's not him then you have a shout with marvin hammett linebacker john van deest. i would love to see him spend a little bit more time on the field again but there are uh there are a lot of players on this team to be excited about individually um the coaches you can get excited about the way these players are being used you can get excited about and again it's ucla it's stanford these aren't huge programs that you're beating. I mean, I guess program-wise, Stanford still is one of, I would say, still one of the healthiest. I don't know. I don't know if you can say that. But just knowing how easy it should be to to get back to where Stanford was. You know, it's, it's not like you're selling somebody on coming to UCLA where... You know, they they haven't had recent success. You know, it's Stanford. And you can say, we have this education, we have all this. Things will be just fine. We don't know whether Stanford's a a good team or a bad team this season. But it's always good to beat Stanford. And they were able to get done. They're able to beat UCLA. And the next games are going to be more challenging. Nobody thought that the Buffs were going to do what they've already done, though. Six and a half point underdogs week one. Nine point underdogs week two win both of those games and win them running, I guess not running away because it kind of got a little bit ugly late, but not in a concerning way to me, at least Um, never really gave them a true shot. I was wrong on the post game show. when I said that their opponents still haven't had the, the ball in a one score game in the second half. I guess technically Stanford did have the ball with like 10 seconds left. They got to run that one play. So I was wrong. Um, but, that, it's not like that was a great opportunity to get to, to win that game or tie it, I guess, if they could get the field goal, but there wouldn't have been time for that. Um, just a fun time. Just a fun time. Uh, and so easy to root for so many of these guys and so many reasons to think that things are only getting better from here, even if the opponents are probably only getting better from here as well. Um, that's going to do it for today. We're not going to check for comments because I've been talking for 82 and a half minutes now um appreciate you as always for listening if you want to subscribe to the dnvr.com you'll get all of our written content um you'll get member-sized beers when you go to the DNVR bar which are uh, the steel honestly um plus I use the promo code buffs you'll get uh, a, a free shirt a t-shirt we just relaunched or launched the Pride and Tradition shirt. There are a couple Phil shirts. There's the Sco Buff shirt. There's the Crying Nebraska Kid shirt. The 6236. So there's there's some pretty cool options. Um, but that you get one of those. You get a dmvr mask. You get a dmvr sticker pack. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of really cool things that you get if you use that promo code Buffs when you sign up for a subscription. On top of all the awesome things like big beers and all the other stuff, the ability to comment on this podcast. You know. Um, if you do decide to pull the trigger and we really appreciate that. And also it looks good for Buffs fans because it keeps us in this competition. Um yeah. And if you have any comments, any questions, as always leave them in the post for today's show at thdmr.com. We'll get through all those tomorrow. I'm gonna rewatch Colorado game today and we'll get through more thoughts on that tomorrow. Um look through some of the advanced stats for the game, see if there's anything um surprising or noteworthy in there um, Sam Noyer really good in the middle of the field. There's a hint at what's to come when we talk about that tomorrow. Um, and yeah, just appreciate you all for listening. Um, and let's just all do whatever we do, whether you cross your fingers or whether you pray to somebody, I just want to see the buffs play a football game this weekend because I don't know that I can go a week without seeing it. You know, this is, this is a lot of fun. It's, and it's going to stay a lot of fun. And, uh, I hope you guys are enjoying as much as I am. I'll see you guys tomorrow. I
0: like my 180 speed pad competition. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army, with soldiers like the Navy yeah. and boaters where we station, patiently awaiting. Boy. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Looking to my eyes. I can tell that you afraid uh-huh. Cause you know we finna get hit ya, ya, hit ya, ya, hit ya, ya. Hey. You on your own now Why you watching the official sure. You just better hope you make it To the next whistle God. And we you playin' with ya You can get it anytime yeah. We start at the scrimmage We gon' win it at the last sure. a Colorado swag in the middle at the I think they like my, my Colorado sway. cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado swag, my Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. Might not swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. Them books, mess them up, we say we got them If we don't, then we'll get them When we see them, then we act like my Colorado swag Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act And when I'm in it go, You know I'm acting bad Holla, get them bust with my Colorado swag My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag Colorado swing, they like my Colorado swing. Cause when I'm in it play, I, really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly, get a bus with my Colorado swing. My Colorado swing, my Colorado swing. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swing. My Colorado swing, my Colorado swing. Mine, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swing.